sure. I'll talk it out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whatever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? everybody dj nubis here with you on the metal time radio podcast hordes of chaos episode 164 kicking it all off with a band called fr we're doing a cover of devin townsend's deadhead and i'm always intrigued because devin is my favorite artist of all time so whenever i see a band or artist who are doing covers and and you know tributes to devin and his work always perks my ears and eyes up when I hear that so that was actually a very cool cover uh, very close to the sound which I'm fine with I, you know it's one of those things where I know Neko tends to like it when bands get a little more creative but I'm more of the effect that uh, I still need to be able to hear the original song in there like in terms of not just lyrics but the vibe and sound and 
sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, regardless. But even though that was a close work, and even uh, singer uh, Tita Tani, I believe is his name, is uh, sounds a lot like Devonair. So, I mean, it's fine. I, I thought it was a really good cover. Uh, so, I have no problems with that at all. It kind of, like I said, when I did the last Rock and a Hard Place, where the band Transat also is very influenced by Devin Townsend, you can hear the similarities in the vocal work. And I like that a lot. So, there's a lot of bands out there kind of doing that now. Ray Devin's really become a bigger thing over the last 15 or 20 years than initially when I first discovered him in the mid-90s. Really, hardly anybody knew of him or even cared for his work and Strapping Young Lad at the time and some of his solo stuff. So over the last 15 years or so, he's, Devin's definitely picked up a bigger fan base with more people all over the world, so that's good to see. And he's influenced a lot of bands along the way as well. Uh, before I get to the stuff that I'm going to talk about in some of the music today, got like a mini rant to do here. Uh, the precursor here is, for those of you promotional sites and labels that I've worked with over the last... 10 or 15 years this doesn't apply to you because clearly our relationship over the years is pretty much perfect like I don't have any issues with tagging or the format format of the music that you send me uh, but for you newbies who are kind of in here now over the last couple of years and some of you independent artists who email me uh, I need you to make sure you're paying attention to the tagging so that means if you send me an email and the file itself only has like the song title or and it doesn't have like the band in the tag, I'm not going to play it. Um, sure, I can go back and dig through my emails and find out what the so what band the song belongs to, but that's just a lot of extra work. You have to understand, I get hundreds of emails a day. Uh, and many during the week and this is on top of all the other new stuff like I listen to about 15 to 30 new albums a week and that's not including the stuff that you labels and promotional send me that's like another 15 or 20 labels doing the same thing okay so now we're talking like 40 so I mean obviously I can't sit there and digest all these albums I have to kind of go through them quickly and like get a feel of what they're about and find songs that I want to play. But for the labels and promotional sites and these are and you and you sing you artists out there who are trying to get me to air your music, I have no problem doing that as long as it fits the format of the shows. Uh, but what I'm finding is there are people sending me music that aren't tagged correctly either I just have the song or I just have the band name and I don't have the song or and I've said this before I the, the program I use to record the shows with is uses mp3s so do not send me WAV files sure I could convert them to mp3s or there are resources out there to do that and I used to do that but nowadays I just don't have the time and I ran into a problem this morning where I was going to play a band from one of the labels. I'm not going to call them out. It's not really about calling out any particular label or promotional site. I was, I was in my list to play today. And the tagging, because it was like a, a, a foreign band, you know, it was an Asian band. So, you know, the little 
coding in the um, tag file, which is in their language and everything, they did have like you know English version like next to it of what the song is supposed to be. So I had the band and song. The problem is it had all this other coding in there, and it didn't allow me to play the file. I checked it before I got going with the show, and it won't let me play it because of the tagging. So it's important that you guys are paying attention to these things and making sure you send me legit files that I can play. Uh, it's unfortunate when I can't play a band or artist because the people representing them, which is you all, aren't doing the legwork to make sure I have the correct files or that they're tagged correctly or the right format. Some of you send me emails with both an option for WAVE and MP3, that's fine. Because I can just choose the MP3 version and get that for me to play. So that's not me telling you stop doing that personally for me when you have both included because it doesn't really matter. I can just choose which one I want. But if you're someone who's sending me just a WAV file, I'm not, I'm not going to play it. Um, I'm not trying to be a dick, uh, but I need your help with this. If you want me to play your shit, I need you to make sure it's in the right format, which is MP3, and make sure it's tag correct. So at least, even if I have to correct, like, the capitalization or whatever in the file because it's mainly for me and not for anyone who's listening at least make sure that the band is tagged in the file and usually it's band first song second but I'm not going to nitpick if it's song first and band second I just got to make sure I know who the band is but I at least have to have the band name in it because I get so many files sometimes and I have the song title but I don't have a band and I could go back through all my emails to try to find it but that's just time consuming and it's ridiculous. Should not have to do that. So please guys and gals make sure you're sending me uh, formats and tagging that works okay. Alright and rant. Done with that. So today I've got a couple movie reviews. Uh, one I had planned on doing on YouTube but I didn't have a whole lot to work with in terms of the podcast today, so I left it for this. I already done a couple YouTube videos this past week, so no biggie there with that. Um, have a series update you on on Shutter, which I'll get to also a series on Disney Plus to talk about a little bit. And a lot of great new music coming your way. Um, the Rock Block, I have some obviously stuff from their labels and promotional sites as well as new stuff from Jonathan Davis. Uh, for a game that he did, or you know, a game that a song he gave for the game, uh, which is cool. A uh, lot of great stuff in the metal uh, portion of the podcast, as well as classic material in there as well. And uh, we're gonna kick off, boy Kevin Tarrant, biggest fan of Metal Tavern. Yes, he is, and uh, he has a request. And actually, we had played this band before in the past. Um, it's a solid record by the band Chemicide. And a track that he chose to play is called Lunar Eternity. So let's rip it off. Some classic and great new thrash coming your way in this block. Here we go.
A person this type choose his victim for a reason. Procedure. Control. Violence.
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaboration with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y. Sci-Fi Century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla-related information. Peace. Yeah, I kind of forget uh, my boy Daniel from the Sci-Fi Century. Uh, you know, he's no longer really doing YouTube stuff. He's kind of just taking time to, to work on himself and, you know, just kind of enjoy life. I think he's kind of like just burned out and stuff. But, I mean, you know, he may end up coming back once in a while to do shows or whatever. But uh, I think overall I think he's ready to just kind of like concentrate on other parts of his life. So that's always a good thing. You know, sometimes you need to do that. So I still play the, the liner, but uh, I guess I need to start kind of taking it out for the time being. Um, as he's not really putting any content out. But, dude, he's a fucking wonderful guy, a great friend. And uh, not going to I love him the bits. Uh, so the first review I got coming up is a movie uh, on Netflix. It's called Metal Lords. And I remember seeing the trailer. Uh, it looked kind of funny. Uh, you know, you got three individuals in high school trying to put a band together. And, you know, shenanigans go on and whatnot. Uh, the three main characters are Kevin, who's played by Jaden Martell. Uh, Adrian Greensmith plays Hunter, and uh, Isis Hainsworth, that's an awesome name, by the way, uh, plays Emily. And basically, uh, Hunter is like this diehard metalhead kid. So he's got the long hair, he's got the jacket, uh, you know, his bedroom is littered with metal posters. He's, he plays a lot of, you know, metal bands, Juice Priest, Anthrax, Talca, and so on. Kevin, you know, he's a little bit more of this, like, nerdy kid. And uh, <laughs> at the early parts of the movie, he really doesn't know how to play drums. But, you know, he's still, like, good friends with Hunter. So, like, together they're really trying to uh, make their dreams happen with a band. But it's just right now, it's just them. And so, really, Hunter is the only one that really has any... Uh, experience with writing music and playing guitar and he can play covers obviously uh, there's a cool scene later in the uh, movie where um it's, it's almost like they're doing a speech class where they're telling stories about um history or whatever that you know they all got their own like little uh speeches uh that they have to give to the class uh discussing whatever it is they were topics were on so Hunter brings in his guitar and he's kind of playing these different classic metal and rock riffs and uh, he's explaining his story through that which I thought was kind of ingenious uh, but then somewhere along the line Kevin like one of the things that we noticed about these two is that most of the school is just not into that kind of music 
And so they go to like a house party early in the film and they're watching this other band on stage <laughs> that's playing more like, you know, uh, easygoing, uh, maybe alternative rock type stuff, right? Uh, and they're nice enough guys because like, you know, they're pretty friendly even though Hunter is really just a hard-headed, stubborn one of the group. And so like, you know, Hunter cracks a joke like, well, dude, he's only playing like one riff. Like he can't. This is this shit sucks. You know, he's just talking trash because you know Hunter's got some issues at home with his dad and stuff like that. And then, but Kevin's kind of a little more open-minded, you know. And he, he he's a, he, one thing he does in order to avoid gym class is uh, he joined a band. You know, the band that kind of marches around the marching band that marches around during games and whatnot. So he's playing a little drum there. But there's a girl in the class who's playing the clarinet at the time and. Uh, She's fucking it up. Like, she can't play it very well at all. A teacher, music teacher's like, you know, we talked about this. You got to make sure that you're reading the music. And this girl just loses it. Like, she just slams the fucking clarinet to the grass ground and then, like, curses at him and walks away. Like, she just went mad hell crazy. We find out later she's someone who is either bipolar or whatever, and she takes meds, you know, so that's one of the reason for the outburst. Uh, but it's a funny scene, and Kevin kind of likes it, so then Kevin hears, while he's trying to practice learning drums at the school uh, music area, hears her playing a cello. And he comes in, and he's like, you know, you're really good at that. And he's trying to, like, subtly convince her to join the band as the bassist. And it's kind of hard going at first. And especially when Kevin brings it up to Hunter. Hunter's very, at this point, very anti-girl in terms of, like, metal and everything else. It's... I, I, I can see where, in the modern day, people watching this film would say it's very sexist or, uh, you know not cool thing to have on a movie but the reality is I think they're kind of just throwing it back to more of the classic 80s and 90s this wasn't I, I'm not I can't remember what they did have modern phones so it is a modern day but I think it was just Hunter's like stuck in this old mentality about women not being in metal as far as like musicians so it's it's like he's very strong will about this it's his project and uh stuff like that now the problem with this film though is that it's very generic it's very basic uh follows a lot of cliches uh about metalheads and but it's also not really delved in any kind of reality like the fact that they would be able to go to uh a house party full of preppy people just wouldn't exist now they did kind of get picked on by some bullies which has been kind of a main theme early in the film as well there's a group of guys that continually fuck with especially the other the other interesting thing about this as well is that hunter comes from a rich family so he's driving a fucking hemacuda dude like a hemacuda that doesn't happen either <laughs> maybe maybe on some weird plane that actually happens where you have like a rich metalhead kid but uh the belief system that somebody with all that money is going to actually be in the heavy metal like that or uh, drive a hemacuda in your high school like that just yeah I don't see it but uh, for whatever reason Hunter's also lashing out so 
he eventually like walks up to one of the bullies outside like he tells Kevin to keep the car running and uh, he basically flips off the bully runs jumps in the car Kevin's driving at this point and uh, they manage to get away through a crazy car chase and uh, but eventually it comes back to Byron because the bullies end up tearing up on uh, Hunter's car so there's a lot of back and forth. They do, the kid gets suspended, but it doesn't stop him from fucking with him. And, uh, but that's, you know, again, like a house party thing. I just, I don't really see metalheads like going there just mainly by choice because why would you want to endure that? Uh, but that's probably where Kevin comes in because he's sort of writing his line. He's very new to the metal stuff. Uh, but again, he's Kevin's best friend. So, you know, he's starting to get it. But we, we see a progression with Kevin though where he starts actually listening to, uh, Black Sabbath and stuff like that and then he starts reading the music like literally reading the music and he starts to play and he gets better at the drums and uh, there's even a point some side plot where this preppy blonde chick that Kevin was kind of semi-hitting on or at least giving compliments to was you know she was starting to uh, give him her attention because she she was kind of down on herself and he's just kind of like telling her things that she probably needed to hear and she kind of drew an interest for him and then when she saw him play with this there's a there's a moment where Kevin and Hunter have an argument and they split and so the band that little preppy alternative band I told you about they didn't like their drummer because he was stoned all the time so they ask uh, Kevin to play for him for a, sh a little show and he does and he does a decent job it's not anything heavy or anything and the blonde chick takes notice and smiles. And she actually even tries to hit up on him, but he turns her away because he's actually got a crush on Emily, the girl that he had met prior. Anyway, the movie in different parts of it, you know, we even see a moment where Hunter throws on some quartz paint. And it it kind of, a little bit reminds me of it trying to be too hard to be like Deathgasm, but only without the blood and gore of that film. Uh, and it's not as impactful in terms of like the things they go through as it would say for like Metalhead, which I will revisit that film with Neko when I get the DVD in. Um, I had seen that the other day. I planned on doing a review for Metalhead, but it's so fucking good that I needed to wait for Neko to get back to see it because I really want her to see it. And I want her to give her input on the film as well. So when that happens, it'll probably be another, like I said, probably be another month or so before that even happens. But uh, if you have not seen 2013's Metalhead, do so. Fantastic film. Weirdly enough, the first half of that film, I, I wasn't really feeling it. I mean, I understood the plot and everything that's going on. It, to me, it was kind of like Metal Lords. I was, I was seeing a lot of cliches about how they were trying to showcase a metalhead uh, all the negative things that a, a metalhead would have but then the second half of metalhead everything turns and of course that bothers even the metal purists so that if that's grabbed your attention at all that's fine that's what it's there for but for me the second half of metalhead is where it gets really good in fact the last 15 minutes i was talking to crook from metal mania uh, that last 15 minutes is some of the best work writing I've ever seen in regards to a, a metal movie. And uh, so fun. Like, really fun. It's it's really good stuff. But, you know, it has some dark moments in that film. And uh, things that happen with the person in Metalhead, 
don't necessarily happen to these three individuals in this show uh, for Metal Lords, but that that's kind of where the writing becomes weaker because if you're pretty new to metal and metal movies, you'll probably enjoy Metal Lords because you don't really have anything else to base it upon. Uh, for me and for many metalheads and guys that I know who have seen a lot of metal movies, whether it's horror or not, uh, you know, we... We we're seasoned metalheads, so we know exactly what we're looking for in metal movies and stuff. So this is basically what we would call your—I don't want to say new metal, but it's just very kiddie-like. It's made for kids. Um, it doesn't really push any super dark boundaries like I would like it to. Uh, it tries to do that a little bit with the the mental uh, mental aspect of things because you know. I think there's a point where Hunter, his dad is kind of at his limits because Hunter gets arrested for something. I can't remember what it was, but he, he takes him and throws him into like a, a boot camp type thing or whatever it is. And uh, But then the funny thing is the doctor who's actually evaluating Hunter, he's, he's actually a former, ironically, a former student of the school that Hunter goes to. And he also happens to be someone who was in a, a metal band at the time who gained notoriety for playing the Battle of the Bands, which is the ultimate goal for Hunter and Kevin is to play the Battle of the Bands, to beat everybody. And so I will say the ending scene where Emily finally joins the band and they got their look and aesthetic and they're playing the song, it's catchy, it's good. Uh and the crowd responds in a decent way. So it's like, it almost has like the Napoleon Dynamite feel at the end that you get with like the students watching them. At first they're kind of like, what the fuck is this shit? You know, and then they finally kind of start to get into it. Uh, so for the, the back end of Metal Lords is all right. Like it's pretty good. Um, but it, it takes you a long time to get there. And uh, the strength of the writing isn't as good as like some of the other movies that we've seen. Uh, even as Deathgasm is more absurd in terms of what it's going after, it's just a better written movie. and uh, has better fun at the, the comedy bits than we get from Metal Lords. So. Alright. Oh, if, I, if I had to give a rating for this, I, usually, I don't always do this, but for Metal Lords, for Netflix, um, probably a 5 out of 10. You know, uh, check it out. It's, I mean, it's okay for a one-time viewing, but again, if I'm going to recommend anything like in the, I've seen within the last week, Metalhead is definitely it. Um, that's already my number one film. So I, it's like it's going to be difficult for me to try to go another month or so without wanting to talk about it, but I will just because I want to. I want to watch it again. Uh, I may watch. It's on Canopy. If you if you all have that app on your Roku's, Canopy is actually giving you know showing it for free. There's no charge on that. Uh, it is in their native tongue, so it's subtitled. But um, it is so good. It's so good. Can't wait to get it in. Uh, I will be talking a little bit about Metalhead later in the show, just regarding a song that I'm going to play. But uh, outside, I'm not going to give you much more information on that. So you'll just have to wait. Next block of music, I uh, got some stuff from Quabar and Inverse, uh, new stuff from Black Crucifixion, which I've played before, I think, but uh, from Inverse Records, they sent me a band called Light Beneath, and they're kicking off with Beneath Water.
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. Next thing I want to get to, I'm not going to spend a super amount of time because I talked about it last episode, but I wanted to kind of give an update a little bit on the Will Smith slap around, heard around the world on Chris Rock a few, couple weeks ago and um, the aftermath of that, <clears throat> you know, before we talked about what should happen to Will, whether or not he should get back his Oscar, uh, should be banned or whatever. Well, the committee, the Academy finally came back... Uh, last week sometime and decided that they were going to give Will Smith a 10 year ban from the Academy Awards so he can't uh, come to the awards for 10 years now I don't know if this is like something that the Academy can revisit and say oh with good behavior he can get back in two or some shit you know I don't know how that all works with them with that but uh Obviously, there are people pro and against it, um, surprisingly, because it's really more of like a slap on the wrist. I mean, they didn't take his Oscar. They didn't do any of that. You know, they didn't ban him for life. So, I'm a little bit curious how, why are people, some people are like upset that he got 10 years. I'm like, dude, that's nothing. Like, some of the other guys that they talked about who... The defenders of Will have tried to say, well, you got Polanski in there and Weinstein. Like, no, they don't. They got, they all got expelled. They are gone. Period. There is no, they're still there. They're gone. Now, Gibson, uh, you know, Mel Gibson apparently made some racist remarks at one point. He's still in there. And, you know, there's, uh, I guess something happened with Jim Carrey and Alicia Silverstone at one point. Like, he kissed her or something. It was not, uh, by designs. I don't, I don't know what that was all about. I never saw it. So there's some sketchy things there. But the, again, the thing that I talked about last episode is the same thing I'm going to talk about here with two different things. The first being that the code of conduct that the Academy put into their system didn't start till 2017. <clears throat> so... You know, I kind of attribute to this sort of like I did with my job a few years ago. And I think I discussed this too, is when, you know, they were trying to change rules for the drivers, going from cover drivers back to regular drivers. And I was a cover driver wanting to go back to a regular route. And one of my bosses at the time, actually a couple of them, were telling me, well, if you do that, you're going to lose the pay increase that you got when you went to do cover driving. I'm like, no, no, I'm not. And my thinking then was a lot of other cover drivers who had gone back to regular routes before me had never lost their pay. So obviously, I had an opportunity and good help with my mother-in-law, who happened to be in charge of HR at the time. And uh, I went and talked to her. I was like, well, what is this story here? Because... You know, I'm not, I don't want to be the guinea pig for a new rule they're putting in to where if I go back to a regular route, I'm going to lose the money that I made, like my increase, because uh, that was why I jumped to cover driver at the time, which is probably like three or four years prior. <clears throat> and, 
my mother-in-law was like, you're right, you're right, totally right. Like, this should not, if they're going to put the rule in, it's going to be from now until whoever goes to a cover driver from this point on. It's not going to affect you. So she was looking out for me, and that was really cool, and I'm, I'm glad about that. Um, I'm not sure how that would have worked out if I had not known her as well as I did, because obviously I married her daughter, but... And keep in mind, this wasn't going to happen just with me. If someone else who was facing the same such a scenario, uh, my mother-in-law would be very fair with the same thing. She would have told the other driver the same thing, that it would not affect them uh, because of the, the past history with it all. So <clears throat> applying that to the Academy and Will Smith and all that is that you have incidents that occurred prior to the Code of Conduct in 2017. So... <clears throat> Sorry about that. Um, I'm going to drink a water here. It gets so dry down here. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah. So, things that happened prior to this probably won't apply to the code of conduct because it wasn't in place at the time that those offenses occurred. Now, the other part of that is uh, where do the occurrences happen? So, if you go back to Jim Carrey and Alicia Silverstone, even though that I took prior to the Code of Conduct, which is pretty much covering him for that, what he did was actually on a national stage. What Will Smith did was on an actual national stage. Harvey Weinstein and Roman Polanski, all their bullshit happened off court, basically is the term I'm going to use, because it didn't happen on national TV in front of millions of people. So that plays a part. Now, I still think that the Code of Conduct should apply to anything that happens off that, too, because you are representing the Academy. So for those that are arguing that Polanski and Weinstein or even Gibson and them need to be out, I'm not going to argue that because I probably would agree with you. Uh, if I think it gives the Academy a bad face, they should probably be outed and outed of the Academy, like banned permanently. Uh, but I also feel like Will Smith should be banned permanently. I don't think, uh, even though I'm fine with the 10 years, it's fine. It's not like it's going to make or break me as a observer of what's going on here with this. But if they, if the Academy came out tomorrow and said, well, anyone like Mel Gibson, Jim Carrey, uh, Will Smith, we're just going to be done with it. We're going to scrap you all because of the past behavior. If they just said that, I'd be fine with it. Uh, but I'm also fine with the fact that if Jim Carrey and Mel Gibson somehow skate by because of the prior to the Code of Conduct, I'm fine with that too because of how it applies. Uh, like I said, Weinstein and Polanski are already expelled from the Academy, so there's no reason for anyone to bring them up as reasons why Will Smith is being treated unfairly. Some people have used race, which is bullshit. Um, you don't, you don't get to watch that happen on live TV and say to yourself, oh, it's a racist thing. No, it's not. He did a bad act. He needs to be accountable for it, which everything I've read from Will Smith recently says that he's accepted it. Whether or not he likes it, we don't, you know, he probably doesn't, but if he's taking responsibility, that's what you want. Period. That's what you want from it. In 10 years, I know it sounds like a long time, but it's really not. <clears throat> Because in the grand scheme of things, you know, he could probably live to be like 80 years old. I mean, there's a lot of older actors out there. So, 10 years is nothing. And really, are we really going to complain that he can't attend the Academy Award show? Like, 
is it really that big of a deal? Like for me, for me personally, I don't know if it's just in my own DNA or in my psyche or whatever. But if I was an actor and I'm in Hollywood and I'm, you know, if I have some success with films or not, I could give a rat's ass about award shows. I probably wouldn't go anyway. I don't. Neko will tell you, dude. I don't like being around people that aren't really like-minded. I am comfortable in metal concerts, uh, metal venues, uh, people who are into metal. Uh, that's my family. That's my clan. Like, I could care less about people that don't identify with me on that level. Like, award shows like that, I just, getting dressed up, I wouldn't want to do it. So if the Academy came to me and said, yeah, you know, we're, uh, we're going to ban you for 10 years. like, well, good, because I was never coming anyway. You know, it, it, it's just one of those things. Even if I was up for awards, I'd be like, look, just have someone, that, you know, accept it for me. I'm not, say I'm busy. You know, <laughs> that's how I would be. I just wouldn't care. It's it's not the thing for me. But, you know, we act like Will Smith getting 10 years is like all of a sudden like the death sentence. It's not. He, he's really got off kind of light. Uh, now, granted, he's had some projects in the works that are, kind of being pulled or put on the, the back burner for a while until probably just blows over or uh, you know whether or not they want to go forward with this shit but the reality is is like really this is nothing like you knew he was going to take scrutiny in the media that's just how it works and I'm sure that Will's been in the business long enough to know the ramifications of that uh, but yeah so that's the update on that he got 10 years uh, it's not in prison it's just he can't go to one particular academy award show whoopee fucking do people making a big stink about that are stupid as fuck sorry you are it's much ado about nothing really uh he got off light really on the grand scheme of things so that's just how that is all right into more music golgothian remains are in here thy kingdom will burn provided by scarlet records or scarlet promotions i can't remember which one it is sorry guys but we're kicking it off with brand new stuff from Hadra. It's called Retribution's Dawn.
does not find me funny. I've only made him laugh one time. One time, seven Christmases ago. I was in D.C. I called my wife up. I go, yo, what do you want for Christmas? My wife's like, pajamas. That's what I heard, pajamas. She meant pajamas. I heard pajamas. She meant a pair of pajamas. Start there, Bert. I heard the plural. So I bought her seven pairs of pajamas and individually wrapped them. She had a lot of shit to open. And then sat back in the cut going, done, son. Bitch wants pajamas. Bitch got pajamas. All Christmas, I'm like, yo, open my gift. She's like, I'll get to it. I'm working with the girls. My dad's sitting next to me like, you must have killed it this year, buddy. I was like, you'll see. <laughs> Finally, end of Christmas, she gets to my present. I've been talking about this present all Christmas. <laughs> Whole family gathers around. She opens the first pair, pulls them out, and just goes... Oh, pajamas. <laughs> and immediately I think, fuck. <laughs> if that's her reaction to pajamas number one, I can't imagine it's going to build. My dad's drinking whiskey and eggnog and just goes, who the fuck buys someone pajamas? She opens the second pair, pulls them out and goes, oh, more pajamas. My dad looks at the five unwrapped gifts, quickly does the math, and goes, oh, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> By pajamas number five, he's going flipper on me, just... <laughs> pajamas number six, the whole family's around her going, come on, pajamas! Come on, pajamas! Pajamas number seven, they are pissing themselves. Thinking, how could this get funnier? What they do not know is I've also bought my mom and sister's pajamas. You should have seen this man when my mom pulled her gift out from me and he was like, oh, it's motherfucking pajamas. <laughs> oh, shit. That shit never gets old. All right, we're getting ready to jump into our rock block today. Got some X Skull 8 from Curtain Calls. Brand new stuff from Joe Saturani Satch. New album he has out. It's pretty decent, actually. Uh, also got new stuff from Necrogoblin. Excuse me, let me pronounce this right. Necrogoblicon. I always get that shit wrong. Necrogoblicon. So, new stuff from them. Uh, they usually dabble between both rock and metal, so this song I have is a little bit more in a rock vein. Got some pets coming from Quabar PR. Vlad, my boy Vlad from Poland, has provided some Scarcrow. And as I said earlier, brand new stuff from Jonathan Davis. If you don't know who he is, singer of Korn. Uh, he also does solo work. Uh, Black Labyrinth, which he put out a couple years ago, is actually a really good uh, record for you know the rockish vibe stuff. So I enjoyed that a lot. He did this song called Elex, and I guess it's based upon a song by the same name or a game by the same name so i don't know much about the game itself i just remember seeing this uh song and people were talking about it so i thought what the fuck let's give it a whirl listen to it it's pretty decent and that's going to kick off our rock block today it's 
Jonathan Davis with Elex, and here we go.
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at A328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you would find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you This is death in my dining room. This is death in my dining room. 
everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 to noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. back so I debated for the last couple of weeks maybe even three weeks of going to see The Lost City with uh, Sandra Bullock and Channing, Tat- uh, Channing Tatum uh, because I'd seen the trailer it looked like a lot of fun it was kind of quirky um, remind me of some other movies I'd seen of a similar vein uh, but I'd held off because of course uh you know, Morbius had come out, and, um, you know, Jackass 4 and all that, so I, I'd kind of seen, went to see some other movies over that one. Uh, but then the other day, uh, a couple days ago, Jad from the movie Dojo, uh, you know, he posted about going to see it, and I don't know if he put up his review yet or not. I'll have to look into that, but, um, <clears throat> he really, uh, Gave it a glowing, you know, I won't say full review, but he was promoting it pretty hard, you know, saying it's probably one of the better films he's seen in recent weeks or whatever. And uh, so I went to see it yesterday. And uh, the thing I have to teach myself to remember is that as much as I love Jad, he and I don't generally agree on movies that are entertaining. Like, I'm not sure what his prerequisite is to determining a good film like I, I saw some of his favorite films from last year that he put in a list and some he and I agreed on some of them um, but then there was other ones I'm like either I hadn't seen or I, I think to myself dude I, I just wouldn't like that film like I just can tell I would not like that film and so it really just comes down to taste and the other thing is, I know Jad hates some films that I think are actually pretty decent. Uh, you know, he and I... One thing about Jad that I will agree with is... Michael Bay, especially recently when talking about the Will Smith stuff... I don't want to get more into that, but... Uh, I've just found it odd that Michael Bay was defending Will Smith. Like, he would go ahead and continue to cast him in films... But then Michael Bay gave Megan Fox such a hard time during the Transformer days because she, you know, was somebody who stood up for herself. Uh, now, Grant, I don't know all the details with Megan Fox and all that stuff, but just I just remember Michael Bay being kind of a dickhead about all that shit. And so, and I think even one point Bay said he wouldn't work with Megan Fox ever again. So it, it just kind of cracked me up the hypocrisy that Michael has regarding. Uh, actors and actresses you know whatever the case but that's a minor detail uh but one of the films that bay made called armageddon back in the late 90s was actually a decent flick like i enjoyed that there's another one with a similar theme called deep impact which is also very good with morgan freeman so you know armageddon to me you know i'm never gonna say it's like the state art you know, Casablanca. I, I never really liked Casablanca anyway. So, for the movie Purist, like, I just laugh in her face because I just don't give a fuck about stuff that's supposedly iconic in that way, but I find it very unentertaining. 
for instance, again, I'm just going to just tell you the difference between Jad and I. Jad really liked uh, the recent West End story. like that. He really crowed about that movie. I have not seen the new one. I have seen the old one, and but I know the premise. So I know what it's about. Uh, I know there's singing involved. I just... It's not a movie I enjoy. Like, I don't find any enjoyment out of it. Like, there's nothing I can really gain from it because it's not... I have to be able to go into a film actually interested in it. Uh, Now, occasionally you can be surprised by films that you know nothing about or you hear from and you're like, oh, okay, this is turned out to be really pretty good. So anyway, Jad saying that he liked The Lost City a lot kind of just reinforced me. Like, okay, I was already interested in that film. Um... I like Sandra Bullock, I like Tatum, I like Brad Pitt, who's also in it, and also Daniel Radcliffe from the Harry Potter franchise. Uh, so I said, fuck it, I'm going to go see this, because, you know, it's still relatively new, I wanted to talk about it. I was going to do a YouTube video on it, but as I said earlier, uh, I didn't have a lot of content for the podcast, so I figured I'd hold on to it and use it for this. Um... The plot is basically, Sandra Bullock plays an uh, author who goes by the name Loretta Sage. And uh, she writes romance novels. And recently, within the last year, her husband, who was an archaeologist, passed away. And a lot of her romance novels dealt with almost like a Raiders of the Lost Ark vibe where she is playing like the the heroine who's involved in the stories with a very good looking guy who's played by Channing Tatum who plays Alan uh, Alan is basically for those who have been around long enough like me back in the 80s and 90s there was a you know just when romance novels were the thing uh, what was it Barbara Steele or maybe not Barbara but whoever this last name is Steele she was a big romance author back then Anyway, there, there's this male model named Fabio who used to appear on all these fucking covers of all these romance novels. And uh, Alan is, you know, Chan Tatum playing Alan is that guy. He's the one that's always on Loretta Sage's romance novels. So basically he's playing Dash, and that's the character's name in the novel. And so... What happens is, uh, Loretta is really having a hard time finishing this last book, and she's got her publicist, and now a girl who's taken over her, her uh, networking with Twitter and everything, And but Loretta's just not feeling it. Like, she's really depressed about the passing of her husband. Uh, she's not really feeling inspired, so what she's planning on doing is, like, really finishing the book, and then they're going to do, like, a press tour for it uh, for five months. But Loretta, in the past, I guess, has been doing press uh, questionnaires, Q&As, with uh, Alan, the male model. And she doesn't like doing that because Alan himself gets very involved with the character of Dash. Like, he's enjoyed the stardom that came with being this male sex appeal model. So when they get to the Q&A, you know, she's out there, and of course her publicist says, look, you just got to do this. He's got to help you through this because he's more outgoing and talkative. And But what happens is, and you can kind of see it during the Q&A, is that the fans are, like, more interested in Dash than they are her. Like, if they are asking questions, Dash actually interrupts 
uh, Loretta to explain, even if he's wrong. Like there's time, there was a time early on in there where Loretta had to like explain what the letter D meant in the title. Uh, so, but there's this other part of it where Loretta is looking more for. And it's just sort of like her fault in a way. Like, not fault, but just her weakness as a character is that she's only looking for people to be involved with. Like, even though she's not looking for a boyfriend, just it, she's interested in men who are intelligent. Uh, so, and I'll get to more of that in a minute, but... So, basically, she's she hates everything about Alan because Alan's more like your dim-witted guy who came to Hollywood to be a star ended up becoming a, a cover model so he's a star in his own way but she doesn't like he's more like a, a caveman type dude he's just your general uh, bro you know what I'm saying so but you know Alan does have a bit of a little crush on Sage so you know he he, he understands that her husband had passed and everything but he, he does have this like a, a, attraction to her so then what happens is at the end of the Q&A as uh, Loretta goes out to her to get her car, you know, and the, the the guy that goes to get you, I forget his, uh, the, their terminology for it, but uh, they go grab the car for her. Uh, but what ends up happening is a couple of guys following her, and they end up snatching her, putting her in an SUV and taking off. And uh, so finally these guys that, you know, get her to the place they're taking her, uh, she's confronted with Dana Radcliffe, who's like this rich boy, uh, part of this big family called the Fairfax family, I believe. And uh, he's a little bit envious of his other brothers who managed to inherit the business, the family business and everything. But Radcliffe's character um, is actually named Abigail Fairfax. He's more interested in finding something called the crown of fire or some something like that which actually referenced in loretta's last book because like i said loretta based a lot of her her stories and the adventures based upon what stuff her husband was digging up and the the locations they would go to visit to uh extricate you know extricate uh items or whatever so Basically, Abigail is kidnapping Loretta because she's able to, cause, because the husband's passed away, he can't read any of the hieroglyphics or anything like that. So he's grabbed Loretta because she's really the last one that can actually read that stuff. So he has like a little piece of a tablet or a cloth that has these uh, symbols on it. She says to him that, you know, it means this, but it's incomplete. But. You know, once he gets to this island where he believes his tomb is to get this crown, uh, you know, he's getting more and more frustrated with her, but he's not, he's not above killing somebody if he has to. He has henchmen that do a lot of his dirty work. And the one thing about Radcliffe, if you've seen him in movies like Now You See Me Too, which is this character's a lot like that one, where he plays like a rich kid uh, who's very smart, but, you know, ruthless as well. Uh, I have to say, Radcliffe is actually very good in these, like, villainous roles. Like, I was really kind of surprised when you think about some of the other material he's done where he's been playing kind of like the uh, the good guy. So when he does these, like, more uh, 
darker roles. Like, it's not like a dark movie, I would say, because there's, there's some comedy sprinkled into this, and sometimes the comedy's forced. But, uh, anyway. Alan has decided that he knows a guy from a meditation retreat that he went to who's like a, a SEAL, uh, black ops guy, retired, mercenary type. And that's played by Brad Pitt, and his name is Jack Trainer. <laughs> so... He calls up Jack. Jack's like, okay, does she have her phone on? Unfortunately, she doesn't. Her publicist had the actual phone, but it had geolocation on it. So they agree to meet up. Alan meets Jack Trainer at uh, some airport or whatever and are part of the island. And so Alan now wants to be part of the team with Jack to try to rescue Loretta. Uh, Jack at first is hesitant. You know, he's like, dude, you know, this could get serious. You know, you could get really hurt um but eventually alan convinces them so they go off and they do this now there's this funny scene when jack is uh rescuing loretta and alan's alan's kind of like trailing behind so every time alan thinks he's gonna rescue her first he gets her late because jack's already there so Jack, because they have a running out of time, Loretta's still like strapped uh, with zip ties to this chair. So they can't, they don't have time to get her cut loose right away. So they stick her with the chair in a wheelbarrow to which Jack is pushing and Alan's running side by side and they're evading all these explosions behind him because they've now been seen and heard. Uh, that's a funny scene. I'm not going to say too much more on that. I'm just going to say this, okay? The, like I said, the, the, the comedy uh, in this film is kind of forced. Like, it's there are some general and funny scenes. There's a point where Alan breaks out from being in the water and leeches and stuff, so he has like this condition. So, when the water uh, makes him break out, and the uh, the ointment that he uses, uh, Loretta used to start a fire, so he was out of that ointment. So, what she did though, because Alan is like this, you know metrosexual dude uh these like skin masks something like neko wears right so loretta pulls him out and puts him on his back so like he had like three of these masks on his back <laughs> to try to heal the the breakout so i mean there's some genuine funny moments in this but then a lot of the other ones are just kind of like fall in her face duds uh i will say this when there is a point where Pitt's no longer in this in, in the movie. Like, it's kind of a short-lived series for him. Uh, had they kept Pitt in the film longer, it probably would have been a lot funnier because with the three of them and with Alan trying so hard to be this hero that Jack actually is, because Jack, when they first rescue Loretta... Jack and Loretta are actually reciting like Latin to each other, and then because Jack's very smart, he's book smart, uh, something that Alan isn't. So Loretta's already kind of like impressed that this guy's like you know buff and he's he's a seal and he's but he's got all his knowledge, like he's an intelligent dude. So it makes Alan very jealous, uh, and I think that combination of the trio worked really well. And so they, I think they removed Pip from the movie a little bit too soon. Uh, because <clears throat> I think that they should have kept him in there to keep a lot of the comedy at a stronger bay. Uh, but they didn't. So anyway, um, after Pitt is out of the film, in terms of the, the rest of the movie, 
uh, the mill, the movie just comes kind of run by the mill, uh, by the numbers. Like it's it's your standard rom com, and the problem is, it doesn't have the flair of movies like National Treasure or Romancing the Stone or even Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like it just doesn't have that. Uh, it's really borrowing a lot, and I know it's trying to like be like nostalgic in a way going back because of the whole Fabio thing with Alan. Uh, I will say Sandra and uh, Brad Pitt, dude, they are in top form. They look very good. Uh, acting is always top notch. I've always been hot or cold with Channing, uh, depending on the role. Uh, you know, to me, he fits. He's okay. Like he's not horrible, horrible. But I've even read more recently. Like a lot of people, like I know Neko saw like the Magic Mike one or two. Maybe she's might have seen both of them. I don't know, but. Uh, People really like that. And I, granted, my uh, Channing has that like experience with stripping and all that, but that doesn't really make a big deal to me in terms of film, <laughs> unless it's female. I know I'm biased, but the, Channing Tatum has his moments. He does. Uh, people have always said that Twenty One Jump Street is pretty good, so I have to try to go back and view that. But you know, really, it's Brad Pitt and. and Bullock, they really kind of like are the strongest when the trio are on screen together. Uh, so it, it runs by the numbers, goes through the whole thing towards the end, and uh, you know it, it's it's a fine movie for what it is. Uh, I think I gave it probably like a six or seven out of ten. I just don't think that it's as good as I was hoping it would be, and I don't think it's as good as Jad was kind of leading me to believe when he was talking about it. I don't blame him for, you know, inspiring me to go see it, because at some point I was going to go see it, maybe not in the theaters, but I would have definitely saw it if it came to TV. Uh, so it's not like I was never going to watch this film. Like, I knew when I saw the trailer that it looked very funny. Uh, but it didn't really live up to all that. So, I mean, it was, it's decent, and if you've never seen a lot of the older rom-coms uh or films like dealing with treasure hunting i know right now they have uncharted out there which i haven't seen people say it's good but the critics hate it uh that to me again reminds me a little bit more of like national treasure and raiders so it's like do i really want to spend money to go see a movie that's kind of already been done that's one of my biggest issues these days is trying to avoid movies that i've seen because regardless if you have younger actors and uh, you know, a somewhat different plot if it's still kind of referencing older films, which I know you can't always escape. Uh, I do try to avoid them. Uh, I guess one of the problems of being who I am, and I know some of you who listen to the show are the same way, uh, when you watch so many films over a course of, for me, it's like 50 years, 45 at least, uh, you've probably seen just about everything. You know what I mean? Like, there's not much in the way of originality. Uh, the only thing you can really do is when you're selecting your actors and your script and how you put it together. So take uh, Nolan's Batman trilogy. That's really a good trilogy because it's 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 even though it's not original per se, it's well put together. The acting is good, and everything falls into place. Um, with other movies, though, that you know, pay homage to either comic book characters or 
you know, horror stuff. Like we know, I've t you've heard me talk about all the time about the reboots and remakes of horror films in the last tw two decades that a lot of them don't hold up because something is missing. Like they, they try their best to get you the young, hot, in the now actors and actresses to perform in these films and then they think they can reboot them for a new generation and in some cases these younger people enjoy that stuff like I, I know a lot of younger people uh, within the last 25 years enjoy the new Suspiria more than the old one the original one uh, but then you get a lot of us classic people uh, you know who grew up with stuff like Argento's Suspiria we enjoy that more for what it is. I did enjoy the remake more than I thought I would. But I am very honest when I say that it doesn't really hold a candle to Argento's version. Um, but I could appreciate what the director was going for in the new one. So going into it expecting to hate that film, coming out saying it was probably like a 7 out of 10 for me, uh, is actually a pretty decent score for me considering it as a reboot <laughs> then you have stuff like the evil dead from 2013 which i feel is far superior to the original and that's not really to diss the original because i know that's sacrilege but that movie is actually one of the very few remakes i thought was better than the original one so it does happen it's just very rare um but anyway lost city is a good six or seven out of ten it's worth seeing at least one time um they could have did things a lot different in it. Radcliffe was really good in it, like I said. Pitt was really good in it. Bullock. Channing was being Channing. So, yeah. Not as good as I had really hoped, but uh, good enough to get by, as I say. All right. Um, so I was going to talk a little bit about, uh, I brought up earlier about the movie Metalhead, right? So uh, there's a song that's performed in this. At the end, it's it's a song that's in the movie written by the the girl in the film who's the star of the movie. Uh, she's performing this in front of her little town or in a town hall, and it's like her they her parents say it's like her big night of actually performing live for the first time. I know it's going to be out of reference because I'm not giving you the backstory of how this all takes place. And the only thing I know about the band is called Pitur Ben, and. Uh, they're Icelandic, and this is where that's where the film was shot too. Uh, the band from the music that I've listened to outside of this song, they sound a little more like a alternative rock band or you know a modern rock band. Uh, so this this song is actually different than what the rest of the band's music sounds like. Now I don't know. I couldn't find the information. Maybe someone can let me know in the comments. If the I don't think the girl that's in the movie is actually saying this. Maybe she did, maybe she didn't. I don't know. Uh, but the way they did this song sounds very much like a black metal song. Now, here's the other part of this. The version that ends up being the actual song played is different than even what the girl in the movie intended for. Because the girl starts out playing this song with rough vocals, black metal vocals. Uh, but when she doesn't get the reaction she wants or doesn't accept that and she gets a little bit of like negative feedback from the town hall people about you know like you know not sounding good or can't understand what you're saying 
she actually stops and then looks at the band members and then goes back and, and uses clean vocals to play the song. It still comes out very powerful. And this happens during that last 15 minutes I was talking about. Uh, and it, it's just, when it, if you, of course you're reading it because it's subtitled, but the lyrics and the expressions on the family's faces in the town, because her family's there, her friends are there, and again, the character is dealing with loss and grieving and the pain of what happened throughout most of the movie. So it's all coming to a head here. Now granted, at this point, she's kind of lost a lot of her anger and stuff, but she still has something to say. So I really wanted to play this song a lot. Really, we may end up playing it again when Neko and I do the actual review for the movie itself. But... Uh, this is the main song that I really enjoyed from that movie. It's uh, by Pitur Ben, and it's called Swarth Hamar, or Swart Hamar. Verða 
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. So our last little discussion here, I think initially I was going to talk about the Moon Knight series on Disney+, Plus, but I think I'm going to hold off on that because it's only through the third episode right now. I think there's only six altogether, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to wait till that series is over and then I'll go and do a review on it because um, there's a lot going on right now and there's some things that are kind of annoying me, but I don't want to give on it, give up on it just yet. Um there's some cool things about it, but there's some other shit that just bugs the shit out of me. But anyway, I do want to talk about another series that started out in 2020 on Shudder. It's called The Cursed Films. And uh, the first season had films they did uh, that they talked about with The Exorcist, The Omen, Poltergeist, The Crow, and Twi- uh, Twilight Zone, the movie. And basically the premise of all these episodes is that the reason why are they cursed is because of the crazy shit that happened either on set or effect of that. You know, people dying, uh, weird things that happen on set, you know, just just crazy, crazy shit. So uh, I was really excited when season two came up. Um, this, the, I think the... I'm going to try to give you a list here because they've already put out two of them, The Wizard of Oz and Rosemary's Babies, which I just watched yesterday. But they're also doing The Serpent and the Rainbow, uh, Stalker, and Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, I'm familiar with Cannibal Holocaust in terms of, you know, things that happened there and whatnot. But I'm really interested to see some added information they're going to give on that. Same with Serpent and the Rainbow. But Wizard of Oz, you know, I kind of remember the the talk about it with the crazy shit that happened. You know, I wasn't really paying as close attention as I was when I watched this episode, but, uh, you know, the thing with the, the dwarf person who hung themselves, uh, during the live movie itself when I was filming is something that's always been up for debate because, uh, you know, the the studios say it didn't happen. And then, of course, the weird thing is... I always thought that was funny. The studios claimed that a suicide never happened on on the actual movie, right? Uh, so what... But what they did was they took a scene where everyone thought that they were seeing someone actually hang himself. Uh, and they put what they call, like, this swan or this bird in the background. So they, like, dubbed over, especially when it went to color. And so I, I say to myself, well, if no one is actually hanging themselves or hurting themselves, why are you bother trying to cover it up with something else? Like, it's a little fishy, right? But I was very curious of just how real this really was. And I can't remember the YouTuber that did this, but he went through, and it's really a quick clip because it's it's when the four of them are coming down the yellow brick road by a house... And, of course, they say, oh, we're off to see the wizard, and they start, you know, coming to from your left to your right and then moving up towards the back of the screen where they see the, the background forest and all that. And, clearly, the black-and-white footage uh, before it was edited shows, indeed, like some sort of figure that drops 
and then start swinging. Like, not hard swinging, just swinging enough. And so this guy, he went and he showed you the same clip four different times. Because, like I said, it's very fast that this all happened. So he's slowing it down, and then he's magnifying the background. It doesn't ever really become clear. Like, you know, technology can only take you so far with something like that, with, like, that piece of kind of footage. So it's very hard to break down and say, okay, yeah. But he gets that shit so magnified that there is no fucking way it can be mistaken as anything but a person. The only thing I can say to myself is either it was a prank at the time for someone just fucking with the, the filmmakers to say, hey, let's, let's just pretend we're you know, committing suicide with this like mannequin doll or something, right? there's so much shit going on with that particular film with that scene and that that myth or whatever because I, I, I don't know I haven't really researched it but was there ever any mention of anyone dying like like forget the suicide part of it do cast members or uh, filmmakers people who worked on the film do they ever mention that someone actually died around that time one of the dwarves like is it ever mentioned because the reality is if someone commits suicide like that, eventually someone's going to know about it, right? They're going to find it, find the body, whatever, or see it. And you would think uh, the stars of the movie themselves would know about it and say something about it. I don't know if they ever did. Maybe there's stuff that was written at the time in their contracts that they can't talk about it. I don't know. But I'm still baffled that Disney went and... Was it Disney that did that? I'm pretty sure, right? Oh, I'm pretty sure. But anyway, but you you know, it, it's it's weird that they would go and actually try to replace that image with something else. And say, no, it's just a bird. Well, the modern versions of the movie are bird, of a bird. But if you go and see the original footage, it shows something completely different there. And it's not a bird. <laughs> It's creepy as fucking hell, dude. It is. It really is. And uh, I, you know, I can't tell you if it's real or not. I don't know. I had to go and research that hard because I don't see there's any way that something like that happens and somebody doesn't mention it somewhere in their life after the years, you know. Uh, and But some of the people in the episode, the actors that are still alive or who were on the sets... You know, they still don't say, they think it's all just uh, a hoax or think that it never happened. So it's hard to say exactly what's going on, but some of the shit doesn't add up to what the filmmakers are saying it actually is. Because you go look at this dude's YouTube thing, it's not doctored in any way. He's taking just the actual footage from the clip from the movie, the original fucking movie, and it shows like something totally different. I mean, if you were editing out a bird to make that image, it, it'd be difficult to do that the way, especially with the way he's magnifying it. You don't get by that. There's no fucking way to none. Uh, so I'm convinced that either it's just a prank and someone threw like a body on a rope, and you know we're trying to fuck with everybody at the time, or someone really did commit suicide and just it's been hushed up. It's one of those things. Now we move on to Rosemary's Baby. A film that I think is vastly overrated. I understand why it was creepy and crazy for its time. 
Uh, much like, you know, Exorcist to me is way better than Rosemary's Baby, but uh, I think Private Do, I do have a bias. I don't like Polanski very much. I don't like his movies very much. I think he's a piece of shit human being uh, who needs to answer for some shit that he uh, escaped from many years ago, but that's beside the point. I tried to do my best to separate art from the person. Uh, the movie itself is well put together. We've seen movies in modern day that uh, take pieces from that, you know, the plot lines and, you know, do similar things. So it, it, it obviously influenced and inspired many copycats. Um, but, uh, you know, there were some weird things about that film, too. Like, there was people that, the one guy they mentioned, I can't remember his name, um, but he's the one that basically funded or wrote the script or he you know found a book or he was he was he was putting the money up for it uh i believe william castle might be the guy i'm thinking of i think that's his name and um so when they told him that polanski was going to direct it he wasn't crazy at first but then you know he says that he didn't mind it either but uh you know he went through some health issues following the making of the movie uh, apparently the Catholic Church was really angry about this film. Um, like, when they, when Polanski and company made it, they really thought, you know, it'd be like the... There was a lot of craziness with The Exorcist, too, but, like, they, they knew they'd get some kind of pushback just because it was talking, talking about, like, Satan himself fucking a girl to get her pregnant and have the devil's child. So they knew they were going to get pushed back to some degree, but they didn't realize that the Catholic Church was going to be so adamant against it. Like, it was really, really, like, they were getting threats and everything else. And uh, then, of course, um, shortly after the film, I believe, um, the Sharon Tate murders and stuff took place, or maybe it was vice versa. I can't fucking remember the uh, timeline. Uh, but I, got, I think it was actually the movie came first. I think they were trying to say or imply that when Rosemary's Baby came out that Manson had sort of uh, wanted to use that as a way to mimic something about Satanists or whatever, even though Manson was more about just a cult following, like he thought he was the Messiah. And, but, you know, there's other weird things too, like... Um, the building to which Rosemary's Babies uh, was filmed, uh, and I didn't know this prior to watching this, is that it's the same fucking place that John Lennon was killed. And the, ref the reason why that matters is because one of the things that Manson was listening to and influenced by was the White Album by the Beatles. Uh, and there's the other thing where the place that Lennon fell in front of the building uh, was the same place that one of the actors' characters jumped out the window and died on the pavement below. So, you know, cursed films, this is what they are doing when they're taking these movies and they're talking about them. They're, you know, they're giving you the whole story of the behind the scenes and the crazy shit that goes on and the connections and even though we can sit here and say well maybe it's just coincidence that John Lennon was actually staying at this place that where they filmed Rosemary's Baby but then he gets shot in the you know, same location that this 
body from the film landed, right? So it could be a coincidence, you know. I mean, I don't know what to make of all of it. You know, we talk about it all the time when we talk about Brandon Lee and the Crow. You know, I think back to because I, I believe when uh, Jason Scott Lee did Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, I believe either that came out first or after I, I want to say first because I had, I had been reading up or learning about Bruce Lee and Brandon and I knew about what was basically this uh, this thing about Lee's family being cursed like long before Brandon's death and this was something that was sort of pointed out in Dragon to Bruce Lee's story was that Bruce had been trying so hard to keep his family safe and his his boy and you know the girl and everything and he you know because it was, apparently it was focusing on the boys of the family like his dad had died or something like that some weird circumstances and of course then Bruce died uh, from a brain aneurysm or something but you know there's always been this thing that maybe this is attached to a, a longer curse because then Brandon Lee happened and it's like whoa fuck you know what this is really weird I mean we know how Brandon died we know there was a piece of shrapnel in the gun that you know was just a loose piece of shrapnel it wasn't like even like it's not even like the Alec Baldwin thing where there was actually a bullet a live bullet in there it was just a piece of fragment and but it's just so weird because it happened to Lee. Brandon happened to him. And that's not shit that happens that often. In fact, I think Baldwin's incident was like the first time since that incident that that had happened on a set. So, all this crazy shit that happens, man, it's like, it makes you really think whether you're religious or not, you know, do you think that, uh, you know, filming stuff like Poltergeist or, you know, The Exorcist or whatever is anti, you know, going against Christ if you're a religious person does this piss off God does this send a message that this you know when people get hurt or killed or or whatever happens on these films is it some sort of retribution for being sacrilege or whatever you know I don't know uh, I'm not sure I believe in the religious aspect of all that um, could be just highly coincidental man like maybe if we explored many other films that aren't even related to these or horror in general maybe they have their own crazy shit that goes on who knows uh but it's an interesting topic and i really enjoyed this series so uh like i said they still have um you know serpent and the rainbow and stalker which i'm not sure if i'm familiar with that particular movie but and then cannibal holocaust so i mean there's three more that's coming up at least that i know of uh in this season i'm like well that's great because it's very interesting stuff it's on shutter you're not going to find it anywhere else so if you're not a subscriber to shutter you should be doing it because it has a lot of great content man i mean there's obviously some great stuff with tubi and some of these more free um apps out there but you know things about shutter is they can create their own movies and they have their own shows like this that you just can't find anywhere else so it's like five or six bucks a month it's worth it um you can cancel anytime there's no long-term commitments or anything i know i'm not really a 
spokesperson for Shudder. I don't really get any residuals or anything uh, in return for that. But although I probably should contact him, Neko would be like, "Yeah, you got to do this. You got to contact Shudder. You want to be advertising for them, be a sponsor." So she'll be like, "Yeah, you need to do that shit pronto." You know, I'm like, "Well, you know, I'm not sure if Shudder needs it now. Maybe when they first come out, I should have thought about it, but I don't think I was really." at this stage with my podcast and radio stuff at that point but it's worth it if you're a big horror fan they even got more like thriller and drama mysteries on there now so it's a little bit different stuff they got going on all right getting down for the last haul here the last haul here got some uh brand new stuff in depressed mode kicking us off this is the first time since Almost a de- more over a decade this band's have an album. Like they put out a record in two thousand nine that I really loved. Uh and this new one is already one of my favorites of the year. They for ten years they didn't really miss a beat in terms of quality of music, so I was really happy to listen to this record. So I chose a track that kicks off the album called Death Walks Among Us and here it is, depressed mode, kicking off our next block.
This is Elbow with the Bandy Thorn. You're listening to the Hordes of Chaos only on Metal Tavern Radio. Pump it.
getting ready to close out another edition of the Hordes of Chaos here on Mail Time Radio. I want to thank y'all for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it as usual. Not much left to say, really. Can't wait for Neko to get back. Uh, it's when about that time when she's out that I start to get itchy to have her back home. Uh, but do miss her. We'll see her soon enough, probably around mid-May right now. Hopefully she can get back before the Blackwater Holy Light uh, concert, but she's going to be cutting it close. But uh, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. Got one last track for you. Classic Iron Maiden. Fear of the Dark. See y'all later. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Fear that something's always near 